John, we, we've all heard the axiom, it is better to have loved and lost mm-hmm. than to never have loved at all. Yes. I want to challenge that supposition. <laughs> okay. Because you know that my whole career has been arcing towards one destination, mm-hmm. and that is the venerable August comedy institution that's been here for 45 years now. Mm-hmm. But to only be hired and then have it snatched away from you. <laughs> it's like when a- you try to challenge convention and you come up with classic bits like, yo, Chinese people are weird. <laughs> it's, it's just like a straight white man can't catch a break in America. It's so unfair. No, they can't. It's so unfair. And also, well, I mean, part of it is also like, okay, yes, they have their first like Asian gay cast member. And it's like they hired him at the exact Wait, same time. Both? Yeah, he's both. I know. It's a twofer. Oh, okay, all right. It's I a twofer. <laughs> Good and you. I can't help but feel like there was maybe... I can't say that that's, this is like kind of publicity stunt because, A, I totally believe that SNL would be that stupid to hire someone who would has comedy like this. But also, yeah. B, it makes SNL look bad, believe it or not. I know. It's impossible. <laughs> like, SNL has such a sterling reputation when it comes to casting. Like, how could they let this slip through the cracks? <laughs> Yeah, to take a step back um, so that we don't instantly date this episode, we're referring to the controversial hiring and then, I guess, welcomed firing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of a comedian named Shane Gillis, um, a person you never heard of before, and you won't hear of uh, 15 minutes from now because... Like a lot of like new hires in SNL, it's a it's a star making uh, proposition. Mm-hmm. It, it, they don't hire like new cast member Ben Stiller. <laughs> like they're not gonna bring on like a known a known quantity yet. Mm-hmm. It's, instead, it's for up and comers. The problem is that nobody knew who Shane Gillis was, and what they did learn of him was some very offensive and terrible material. Mm-hmm. But. What they've done since then is is try to capitulate um, and and really overcompensate and then just made like a a, a huffy like okay fine uh, <laughs> tiring decision because uh, those that recall I think this was 2013 their their principal cast was entirely white mm-hmm. and so, and somebody somebody asked well other than Keenan Thompson who's obviously been uh, part of part of the cast for I think over a decade now. Yeah, and people are like, "Hill, where all, where's all the brothers and sisters?" And they said, "Okay, ugh, fine. <laughs> We've all had Leslie Jones and a, a, a smattering of other uh, uh, black cast members." And so, like, it, it, that's kind of the same situation here. They they, as you said, they brought on their first um, Asian uh, featured player mm-hmm. after forty five years. You know, yes, <laughs> about yes. damn time. <laughs> Yeah, and I think following the uh, hiring and firing of Shane Gillis, they they they've also hired Johnny Sun, mm-hmm. uh, who's also a known quantity. Like he's been funny on Twitter for years. Yeah, no, and uh, same thing with Bowen Yang. I don't know if you were familiar with him before, but I definitely I, no. I definitely had heard of him, and I I knew him by his uh, his material. So okay, yeah. so oh, so at least you knew who he was. Yes, I knew who he <laughs> and was. And you could comb, <laughs> yeah, and you could comb his his past material and not see anything <laughs> objectionable to being hired to this. To I don't know the the top of improv comedy. Gosh, the summit. I I don't even want to refer to that. <laughs> I mean, Bowen Yang, really Bowen Yang's material to? gets pretty blue. Okay, if you're a prude. Okay, <laughs> if you're you know <laughs> trigger warning. Okay, guys, look out. Well, John, that's why it's late night. Ooh. All right, put the kids to bed. <laughs> All right, we we've got Alec Baldwin impersonating Donald Trump, and he's gonna say, "Damn." All right, so. <laughs> Well, someone also pointed out Jenny Slate was a, a cast member for like a hot second. She is fired because she accidentally said fuck on live TV. <laughs> that's what got her and fired. I, and that's the most memorable thing that they've done in the last 10 years or so. Exactly. So. 
Justice for Jenny Slate. You know, it's fine. Again, this is a dinosaur institution. You know, not not really worth this much media attention, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, again, it's so it's so weird the age we live in now, where things have gotten so efficient. Like, one of the other big news stories is like how quickly things are getting canceled on these streaming services that don't even exist yet. Like, uh, there was a Richard <laughs> really? Gear. Yeah, there was a Richard. I saw a headline for a Richard Gear starring show that was meant to premiere on Apple uh, TV Plus, and it's already been yeah. canceled. And then also there was some other project that was supposed to premiere on Disney Plus, and that's already been canceled. So, okay. it's it's insane. Well, the, the, like we can't keep the, up. We uh, can't keep up. I was aware of the Richard Gear project you're referring to, mm-hmm. and from the plot description, I can't imagine any version that should in which that show like even approaches quality it's mm-hmm. it's one of the most deplorable th- themes or descriptions i've ever seen of a television show where him and another cohort like hunt millennials <laughs> they're angry at the younger generation they thought hey let's just kill them <laughs> so you, you wonder how that even made it past the conception phase yeah in fact I mean, you wonder that about a lot of projects like what what kind of creativity really <laughs> drives them like how how the heck did they get from the kernel of an idea in somebody's mind and make their way all the way to a, a big screen. Like it takes a lot of effort and money and time. And so nobody said like, this is a bad idea. Let's not do this. Well, and that's the other weird thing is the fact that it got that far because I thought the prevailing narrative of the reason the, the internal struggle behind Apple TV plus or whatever the hell they're calling mm-hmm. it is that apparently Tim Cook is a bit of a prude and he didn't want too much violent and edgy content on this new streaming platform, as opposed, like, you know, to like, kind of create a, di- uh, uh, a diametrically opposed juxtaposition to like, you know, Netflix and who everyone's trying to be like edgy, like, oh yeah, it's got, or yeah. at least you know, what TV executives thinks is edgy. So he called he called Asians a bad word. Ooh, he's pushing boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yes, well. Well, okay, but for, in context, I have to mention this. We have done breakfast at Tiffany's, and I did do a really bad impression of Mickey Rooney's uh, uh, impression yes. in that one. So. Also, you've quoted which you've you quoted teed me many... up for. I you I blame. I did you not for that. tee you up. I you could have denied. All right, John, you got to be better. All right, it's just some <laughs> growth up. here. Also, if, I was bringing it up so to... I could apologize and say that I, look. <laughs> in the moment, we're all no better. All right. <laughs> when we're put on the spot, the, and when the and the, when the improv suggestion is dildo, you just gotta roll with the punches, guys. <laughs> exactly. We're not the people we were six weeks ago. We're growing. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you feel that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's the other thing. Like, could you do a worst like apology? I'd really want to know. All right. Can you apologize for me? You steamrolled over my perfect segue oh, into the movie oh, we watched oh, this week. Yeah, really. Yeah. Of how I'm sure it was, I'm a sure very it was strange idea just leads to, I, I don't know, just utter utter disaster. Really. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now, that's, uh, I, I, let's not go that far. Let's not dive too deep until let's properly introduce the show. Hello, if you're tuning in 149 episodes in. Mm-hmm. We're John and Greg, the aspiring snobs. I'm Greg. That's John over there. Mm-hmm. And we try to fill out our film bona fides by catching up on a classic film that one of us or neither of us have seen before. Exactly. And so this week, in a rare instance, I've seen this film and Greg has not. And we're revisiting the 1971 classic, a quirky classic, I would say. I would, you know, I wouldn't quite characterize it as a cult movie. Cult but, comedy classic. Yeah. yeah. But um, I will get into it. We're talking Harold and Maude. Now sing along If you want to be free, be free Cause there's a million things to be You know that there are And if you 
wanna be high, be high. You wanna be low, be low. Cause there's a million ways to go. You know that there are. And if you wanna be me, be me. If you wanna be you, be you. Cause there's a million things to do. You know that there are. Now, join in. Sing out, sing out. And if you want to be free, be free. I hope you're not sick of the song yet. Oh my God, how many times? Now, okay, so I have seen this movie before, so I I can't really give my first impressions. But Greg, why don't you enlighten us on how you felt about Harold and Maude? Well, let me start by knowing its reputation. Mm-hmm. I I knew that this was a romantic comedy mm-hmm. about a May to August, or excuse me, a May to December romance between a young college lad and a and an aged. Uh, it's woman. more like February to August, am I right, fellas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> February to December. It's yeah. It's it's a sixty year gap or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know the operative word there. You said was quirky. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know like how out there this film was, and now I see like the origins of of Wes Anderson and a lot of other like kooky comedies today, because they're obviously influenced by this. Mm-hmm. Now, John, you know my opinion of Wes Anderson. <laughs> you love him to death. Oh my gosh, Greg can't knock it Yes, 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 I love him. I sorry, I'm not punching my ticket to 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 his uh, version uh, to, to his version of Corktown. Mm-hmm. However, no. I am willing to give this movie some credence. Mm. Like, why do I, why do I abhor Wes Anderson movies and yet like found myself uh, slightly admiring this? And I think it's because this feels like the genuine version. This feels like a total original. Mm. <laughs> and there's something about the great direction by Hal Ashby and in the performances where people like fully commit. And so it is a complete, as I said, it's complete wackadoo vision. Mm-hmm. I don't know what writer Colin Higgins was on <laughs> when he wrote this back at his, uh, d- doing his master's program at UCLA. But I mean, God bless him. I, I can't help but credit him and the other visionaries behind this movie and, and making kind of a true original. Because mm. now that I just see Wes Anderson just aping this, I just hated him all the more. So Okay. But as for the original, I'm going to give it some credence. Okay. Well, that's kind of a surprise yeah. because we this is actually our second Hal Ashby movie we've done. And mm-hmm. uh, we've done Being There, which you didn't care for, but I actually really loved. No. And so I'm kind of on the opposite end of the fence, which is I don't really, I don't hate this movie, but I don't really care for it. And for me, it's because it's cut from the same cloth as another movie, which I think is highly overrated, The Graduate. And it's well, yes. it's very much, and you know, we also re- recently revisited Bonnie and Clyde. Hey, look, names um, yeah. for this podcast. And again, the editing style and the techniques feel very kind of similar, which is it's a very kind of flower child inspired narrative. And because of that, the, the, the editing feels very, very loose and very like lackadaisical in the story while having a very clearly defined beginning, middle and end um, doesn't really feel like it's trying to impart any kind of like moral and which not to say that every story needs a moral, but it, it just <laughs> no, feels. Did you not hear the? Do you not remember the cat's even song? <laughs> okay, I guess that's yes, that's the moral. But again, like yeah. it, it just feels too loose and too kind of like detached from reality for me to really get invested. That's true. Uh, 
why this is this is a movie to, uh, that you need to see to believe because <laughs> if we describe it to you as as red like you would not believe it and it would not appeal to you in the least yeah um we follow we follow the travails of one young harold chasen mm-hmm. played by bud court who's now just a character actor and um, we see him in the middle of a suicide. This is one of six he tries to commit <laughs> over the course of the movie. And again, like, the movie plays very... Well, it's, it's, it's weird because sometimes it seems like he's faking it for his mother's attention. Other times it appears he succeeded and he just gets revived. So it's like there's some level of magical realism that this movie doesn't fully commit to, but it's certainly operating under. Yeah. Now, that said, I think the in terms of the quirkiness... It's much better served by the direction of Hal Ashby than, say, a Wes Anderson, mm. who's calling way too much attention to it. Or the style is not in service of the message. Like, I love that opening shot where I believe it's all done in one take, where we just follow his feet. Mm-hmm. And we see him pottering around the, uh, I don't know, living room or whatever <laughs> in this elegant mansion. The lounge. Uh, yes, the lounge. Um, the, di- the eating area. It's not a dining room, John. It's an eating area. <laughs> no, the peasants live in plays... a dining room. Gross. Yeah. Yes, exactly. We see him plot- pottering around, he writes a note, he plays the piano, and we're just tracking his feet, very importantly, because, end punchline, we see that he's clearly, like, toppled off a chair and trying to hang himself. Mm-hmm. And that leads also to the introduction of his of his, of his mother, played by the great Vil- Vivian Pickles. <laughs> <laughs> um, Is she great, or you just love saying that name? <laughs> I, I love saying her name. <laughs> okay. But I do love the, again, the commitment to the piece, in that she's just, in, in that she looks upon this scene this uh, like horror inducing scene of her son trying to hang himself and she's just like oh dear get down from there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and we see how doting she is because she tries to set him up via computer dating service i mean perish the thought <laughs> and people getting arranged by computer you are at the university yes i am and what are you studying poli sci with a minor in home ec poli sci political science oh it's all about what's going on Harold interested in what's going on? I just think it's such a super thing to study. And and then, of course, I can always fall back on my home ec. Oh, now that's good planning. Yes. <laughs> Tell me, Candy, are you a regular with this computer club? Oh, heavens, no. <laughs> I don't have to worry about dates. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, some of the other girls in my sorority decided that somebody ought to try it, so we drew straws and I lost. <laughs> oh, but I... I'm looking forward to meeting Harold. Well, I think I should mention, Candy, Harold does have his little eccentric moments. That's all right. I have a brother who's a real cut-up, too. Oh, I will never forget the time. We had this old television set with no parts in it. Tommy stuck his head behind it and started giving a whole newscast before the entire family. Must have been very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but this is that's something people don't often talk about with this movie is the fact that the main comedic set piece is the fact that Harold kills himself over and over yeah. again, much to the surprise lack of response to his mother. You know, she's mm-hmm. kind of like she's a she's an overbearing mother, but also at the same time, like clearly not very nurturing. And so she's very much like, oh, well, we need to make sure you have a nice lady. Oh, we need to make sure that you're getting help from the correct doctors and that you have a good direction in life. But obviously, this is a kid who has a very morbid fascination and needs some nurturing and he's not getting it from his mother where he does find it though is in another woman shall we say uh you yes. know the post-menopausal as it were 
<laughs> and he he finds refuge in the loving embrace of Maud, who is a yes. they they meet each other. They have a fondness for visiting funerals for complete strangers, and mm-hmm. and Harold is taken aback by Maud's vivaciousness for life. Exactly, like a kindred spirit, like uh, Jack's narrator and um, <laughs> shoot, what's her name? Helen, Helen, Helena Bonham Carter's character in Fight Club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Only instead of uh, cancer support groups, now it's funerals. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and we, she's, we see that she has a kind of, like a Fight Club, um, she doesn't really believe in possessions. Mm-hmm. Um, she steals cars and, and kind of lives with impunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like ignores traffic signals, traffic lights, anything like <laughs> the cops, and also to up the quirk factor, and maybe in contrast to the gigantic estate that the Chasen family lives on, she lives in a converted like boxcar. Exactly. Or excuse me, a caboose. Yeah. Well, it's weird because she's very much you know an archetypical hippie, but given her yeah. age, it seems a little incongruous based that she would be like this free spirited. I mean, maybe there were older hippies. I don't know. But I think of the hippie movement as very much like a kind of teenager, young person driven uh, movement as opposed to, you know, like, obviously, we all know now people of this age who do kind of act this quirkly and this crazy. But um, I don't know. I I, I wonder for the time, like, were people kind of taking it back at someone? And that's like going back to the graduate comparison. That's the weird thing about this movie is for me, I can kind of like, it didn't really respond to me, but I can kind of understand at the time that it came out, it was probably like, you know, the squares, their monocles were popping out, falling into their tea. Like (laughs) by Jove, (laughs) the things they can put in the cineboxes these days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I will say that's a point in its favor versus a graduate, which is also about this disaffected upper crust uh, college grad. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, who can't fit in the world and finds it in the in the loving arms of a of a of a sixty plus year old woman, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> but where is that? I believe the book was written before this uh, cultural revolution of the sixties. Like at least this one acknowledges it. Like mm-hmm. the Harold's mother tries to set him up on these dates, and at least there's some acknowledgement of like you know do you do you do protests? Are you are you trying to like fight the establishment or something? Yeah. Like at least there's acknowledgement of like a, a world going on outside, and I think it really points to maybe the. Uh, just the family's like disaffection or remove from everything that's going on mm-hmm. and like again subtle nods like one of harold's suicide attempts again i think really well directed it's all done completely in the background mm-hmm. um as he tries to emulate himself like relating to current events of the time like uh many buddhist priests were doing in vietnam mm-hmm. to protest the war mm-hmm. so i again i like the i like the actual acknowledgement of it it has a place in history whereas like the graduate just completely ignores that so that's one point i think one point in its favor and why i admire it more than a movie a comparable movie like the graduate okay but uh going back to the graduate comparison part of the reason why i don't like that movie is because um uh dustin hoffman's character i can't remember his name uh there's only one benjamin braddock john sorry benjamin there's only one character's name. Points for me. There's only one character's name I remember, okay? Mm, yes, his father. You see the appropriate. <laughs> it's not the plastics guy? No, it's not the plastics guy. Well, obviously not. I thought I referred to him as the plastics guy. <laughs> exactly. But it's the fact that we have a very passive protagonist. Like, stuff happens at him. And yeah. it especially comes across here because the whole point is that Harold is kind of a deer in the headlights. He is a complete blank slate. Whereas opposed to, you know, Dustin Hoffman's character in The Graduate, he was like a disaffected youth. He really had no, like, direction. Here, like, Harold clearly has something going on that, like, psychologically needs attention. And I don't know if the movie really kind of captures it well enough. 
one of the things that happens later in the movie is that one of the solutions that Harold's mother comes up with is, oh, you, you know, join the army, give yourself some purpose in life. And he hatches this scheme with Maud in order for him to get out of it. Now, what's weird yeah. is, like, he, he undergoes this, like, shift from, like, maudlin character to, like, mischievous person that I just didn't quite buy. And I know it's because, like, Maud is teaching him how to get the most out of life. But I don't know. For me, like, I, the performance wasn't that great. Like, he was just too much of a kind of, like, stone-faced... Or, you know, he has to play horrified when obviously he has to, like, put up with Maud's behavior at times in public. But for me, I don't know. I thought the, the performance actually felt quite dead. <laughs> like, it, it, but again, like, that's, I, I, I can under also understand, like, the purpose of it. Again, he's supposed to be a passive character. Yeah, this, this is definitely probably the worst done sequence in the movie because of, as you said, the incongruity. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really, like, there's no, like, sign, or at least dread, like, were were this a typical screenplay, like Harold and Maud would have then have a heart to heart, like sorry, I'm I'm shipping out now, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and then Maud like, well, let's hatch a scheme or something, like it would be clear expository or clear setup mm-hmm. for what will follow, and instead he's set up with his, with an uncle, um, talking speaking more of like forced quirk. Um, it's clear that the uncle has lost an arm, mm-hmm. presumably due to combat, and has this, uh, it's his right arm, so he can't salute, so he has this contraption where the sleeve comes up. Mm-hmm. And it's only it's only done once or whatever, but yeah, it's it feels like more first forced quirkiness. Well, it's done once, and... but then after at the at the conclusion of the scene, it's like it's malfunctioned, so it's like sticking up, and he's like, "What have you done?" Yeah. Like it's meant to kind of be funny when you see it yeah. malfunction, but <laughs> and and that is a fair question. What have you done? Yeah, the sequence is so like poorly done. You don't really imagine what it is. They they set it up where Maude is like play acting as a protester. Yeah, and Harold pretends to be so upset by this. You know now giving himself fully to the military he tries to attack her mm-hmm. and then it presumably they're at these actually very famous like ruins of a of a bathhouse and spa mm-hmm. at like land's end in san francisco i know because i've been there once yeah. and the the idea is that she like falls through them into the ocean and and dies and can't breathe i don't know like <laughs> well obviously really well. we've it's set up like, the fact it's that not like they had stunt people to do it yeah it's it, we've obviously set up at this point that harold has control over life and death and that he can kill anyone he wants with impunity and then just come back to life. He's only just used it on himself at this point, but um, yeah. yeah, so that's that's probably what happened, I assume. Yeah. Oh, that was marvelous. Oh, it had the ring of truth. I played Juliet in the Sunshine Playhouse. Louis thought it was my best performance. What's here? A cup closed in my true love's hand? Poison, I see, hath been his timeless end. Oh, happy dagger. Oh, happy dagger. This is thy sheath. There rest. And let me die. Well, you say that. 
I don't know if he does have control over life and death because oh yes, because we're I setting up like... the third act twist, of course. <laughs> yes, we're setting up a third act twist, and I do like the little twists he has because he also has three dates, one in each act, mm-hmm. or maybe they all take place in the middle act. I don't know. Again, we're not story people, so <laughs> well, what again, this saying? movie all we do like, is again, talk about the story. This written by hippies, man. It's like yeah. acts. What are they? Is life an act? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, the most obvious direction you can go with each date is, like, oh, Harold's stage is a suicide, and the, and the woman is horrified. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite is the third. Well, yeah, it's a subversion of expectations. <laughs> yes, you have, a very, you have a very vivacious date who's, who's an actress. Mm-hmm. And I believe in the liberal arts, which kind of terrifies the mother. But <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm at the bottom of the barrel now. <laughs> yeah. Harold, I, I believe, pretends to do Harry Carey. It's pretty obvious that it's like a prop knife. Yeah. Like, you hear the spring inside it, which, like, any normal, like, film, you would edit that out with of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. But then the, the the woman goes along with it. She yes-ands it to, like, <laughs> okay, I'll I'll play Juliet. Like, you just committed suicide. Just like, Romeo and Juliet, I'll play Juliet. And, oh, what's, what's this blood or whatever? And then she does it to herself. But presumably she dies because she doesn't know that it's an act of his. Yeah. And, again, but that's the weird thing about this movie is the fact that half the time it seems like, well, half the time, a third of the time it seems like Harold is faking the suicide to get his mother's attention. A third of the Mm -hmm. time it feels like he actually succeeds. And then the other third, it is, again, like magical realism, like, I guess I'll just get to it. At the very end, he drives his car off a cliff. And then it's a wide shot, obviously. So the camera, like, backs out and we see the beautiful cliffs. And then we pan back up and he's at the top of the cliff. Are we to presume yeah. that he you know, got out of the car before it landed, or did he just appear? Because also going back to another one of the dates, he lights himself on fire, and the date is obviously yeah, it looks like a self. Yeah, it looks like a self-emulation, but then he does, pulls this magic trick. Then he yes, congratulations. You know the word emulation, Greg. Congratulations. Yes, I wanted to say it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, get it right, John. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's technically brilliant you know because it's all done in one take but you know, he we see him yeah. light himself on fire and then the camera pans out and he walks into the room just fine like that's obviously clever and good in camera trickery but i and i, I don't i don't want to sound like a fuddy-duddy i don't want to be like well it's not real so it doesn't count like but it, it's it's like commit to one of the scenarios you know or maybe like escalate it by the end so that you do kind of give into that magical realism a little bit like, maybe for the first two suicide attempts, it's like, it's obvious that he faked it. For the next two, have it be like, oh, there's no way he could have faked that, but then he's fine. And then for the third one, he's like, oh, yeah, just completely throw reality outside the window. Yeah, he's just fine up on top of the cliff. It's cool. Yeah, I, th- I think this is a problem that you and I have mm-hmm. in terms of, like, magical realism. And, like, where should we go with a movie? Mm-hmm. And what consequences does it have? Mm-hmm. Because um, I can think of another example, like the... Uh, like the Prestige mm-hmm. is a movie where, like, you know, we kind of lose track of it in the third act because, oh, now we know that we have cloning technology. Yeah, exactly. And... <laughs> Up until this point, magic did not exist. That's the whole point. Yeah. It's an illusion. And then you have an actual device that clones people. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same case here. Like, are we going to feel the impact of death or are we not? Mm-hmm. Like, are we going to feel the impact of, say, Harold and Maude getting separated or aren't we? Yeah, exactly. And so. And again, that's like the third act twist. Maude turns 80. And she decides, I want assisted suicide. I've already taken these pills. Yeah. And Harold, yeah. the character. Well, she did. She did set that up earlier at the, at the funeral. She said, "Oh, she just turned eighty. I can't wait till I go at 80. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's obviously a great contrast for the character because Harold's been obsessed with death. He's been trying to kill himself the whole movie, and 
I was complaining about the performance, but obviously it's building up to this moment where he's horrified and grief-stricken at the very idea that she's going to die. And, like, I do like the climax where they're, like, rushing to the hospital trying to save her, but it's very clear that there's already, like, there's nothing that can be done. And it's all completely done in montage, and it's all really yeah. well done. And But uh, for me, it's too little too late at that point in the movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's where the movie won me back, mm-hmm. is in that montage and the fact that it's it's all done over, I believe, another, like, maudlin Cat Stevens song. Mm-hmm. And you just see it on Bud, Bud Cord's face, the devastation that he's going to lose, um, the love of his life. Um because also it does really build up to this consummation. Um, I think that's also the most shocking thing and probably what had monocles popping out of eyes mm-hmm. in uh, the early 1970s. I mean, it's, it's only like, one oh, scene. It's not like they're stooping from the very moment they met. <laughs> no, no, no. But yeah. the fact that they build up to it. Mm-hmm. like It's late in the movie once they do finally consummate it. And yeah, it kind of does bring you back emotionally and you feel like the impact of something. And I think, again, the great direction by Hal Ashby like really does support that. Like Not only including doing this montage wordlessly because it's clear it looks like it, it was shot with dialogue but mm-hmm. instead they they do it all in, in a silent or not strictly silent but a dialogue free montage it's just that much more impactful when you do see his face and and maude does succumb to her like assisted suicide mm-hmm. so or i guess so it wouldn't I, be assisted it's just she it's it's at that point where she's kind of she's afraid to be infirm so she she takes yeah. her own life with medicine so Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, medically, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. But, I don't know. What you, medically assisted suicide. That's what we should yeah. have called it. If we knew what we were talking about, that's what we would have said at the beginning. But anyway, <laughs> we clearly don't know what we're talking about. All we can no. do is opinions, guys. The internet is opinions. And this is John's opinion. Yes. This movie's terrible. Sucks. I hate it. <laughs> Again, I, I'm, I'm surprised because I was genuinely surprised by how much I did admire the movie. I wouldn't say love. I'm not like eager to revisit it anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I do value it as a as a quirky product of its time, mm-hmm. and really kind of like in maybe not enlightening, but really surprising audiences in the early seventies, um, which again was an interesting time. I, I, now I'm imagining like going into the Paramount Studios <laughs> with my script for a disaffected twenty uh, year old who's just committing suicide all the time, uh, falling in love and copulating with an eighty year old, mm-hmm. <laughs> and what they would say then. So that. I I will admire the chutzpah behind it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that's but that yeah and that's my problem like criticizing this movie is because I understand that it's very much a product of its time, and yeah. nothing like this would probably ever get made today. Maybe it would. Because um, again, like there is something there's still a market for like oh we're, we're shocking you like oh are you ready for this? Yeah. Um, but it would probably be a little too edgy or extreme today or at least trying too hard. It would be like a Shane Gillis bit, I guess. Um, <laughs> No, it would definitely fit in. It would definitely be sanitized and fit in perfectly with Netflix and their oh, yeah, romantic comedies. Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Well, if you want to sing out, sing out, and if you want to be free, be free, because there's a million things to be. You know that there are. 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 So yeah, you're right. I want I do appreciate it for the fact that it was a product of its time, but uh, you know, for my personal taste, I don't really care for like this style of editing where everything's just a little too like loose and like that was it, I have the same problem with it I had with uh, Bonnie and Clyde. 
where it's like, I know you, I know you have a story in there. I know you're trying to get to a certain point, but why does it feel so lackadaisical? <laughs> that would be my ultimate problem with it. So yeah, and, and it at times, it, just warning to audiences, it can feel a little forced. Mm-hmm. But also, like I, I think it does approach it with a lot of heart. So all right, in spite of all the suicides. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should have put up a, a content warning first. Or I guess we, maybe yeah, we should. I'd... Like, I, every time they now they do a news story about a suicide, they always feel the need to put that suicide hotline in yeah. there. We... Or sexual assault. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it would be a responsible thing to include it in the episode maybe, notes. Maybe, yeah. I'd... I don't know. Just thinking out loud. Yes. I, I Maybe we'll put it out to our audience. Like, do you... Do you feel like we need to, you know, reach the sensitivities of people when we are talking about this content? I mean, we've done war films and haven't gotten any complaints yet. <laughs> um, that could be because nobody's listening. <laughs> yeah, no one's listening. So, <laughs> no one's listening to complain yet. So, so uh, we'll, we'll serve you. All right, we're we're at your beck and call. We're down at your feet. All right, groveling for listenership and, and accolade. And because once we get the least listenership, then we can get a Patreon, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then that's, and then that's, that's sweet, sweet dust. Mm. The sweet dinero. Mm. Mm, I want to bathe in it. <laughs> exactly, dinero. I, I want to bathe in Spanish euros. <laughs> <laughs> they have to be sourced in Spain or minted in Spain. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Mexico joined the European Union, okay? Like, this treaty with America I clearly isn't working out. No. In fact, I think all the world should be part of the European Union. <laughs> Russia, <laughs> Thailand, Australia, Canada. They already served the Queen or whatever. Get the UK back in there. We'll forget we'll forget that vote ever happened. Yeah, we'll just we'll we'll draw and quarter Boris Johnson. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It is ancient history at this point. That was almost three years ago. <laughs> I was trying to think of a very British punishment for Boris Johnson, but the best I could come up with is drawn and quartered. Ooh. Which is probably a bit which is probably a bit much. Okay. I could I could think of far worse no. if you know the history of British boarding schools. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't. You've been to England. I haven't. You spent a whole semester yeah, abroad. There. That's probably where. Uh, well, no, it's not. It's not part of the history books. It's more part of um, scandalous rumor oh. um, reported in the mail. Mm, oh dear. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see, see about googling David Cameron autofills too. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I think a pig is involved. Oh so. gosh. <laughs> and those British people. We assume they're so classy. Hmm. What a pity. Yeah. It's it's all show, John. It's all charade. Yeah, it's all an act. I know. All the world's a stage, as one famous British writer wrote. Yep, Christopher Marlowe. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Anywho. <laughs> gosh, I'm just bringing the trivia facts this week. I want to bring you some more facts, John. Do it. They're Do facts it. because there are feelings. There are feelings Again, about what the we internet consume. is for opinions, not facts. <laughs> yes. And there are opinions about what we have consumed either recently or we think ties perfectly with the movie that we watched. Mm-hmm. It's our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. John, I want to recommend something I literally read last night. Oh, um, boy. And also something from a, a dear personal friend of, of my fiance. So, Ooh. of course, I'm going to spotlight uh, this person. Uh, however, I'm going to run into some trouble here. Uh, the author of the book I'm going to recommend prefers the pronouns they and their. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so Gender forgive neutral. my ignorance, especially like not being used to it and also not understanding it. Um, <laughs> but I'm doing my best. I'm trying to grow people. So oh, okay. my apologies if I if I refer to this author by their uh, unpreferred pronouns. Okay. Um, I'm talking about uh, Shinyan Kor. Do you know who this, uh, who this graphic novel artist is? Uh, that sounds vaguely familiar. I, it, something was just... Re- I, 
I, just go, just go. It'll come. To me. It'll come. To me. Go back to. Yeah. Me. Well, what you're referring to, there was just a, a review on the EV Club. Ah. Which is how that, and she has a, a sizable Twitter following. Oh, nice. No, mostly for her art style, or excuse me, their art style. Mm-hmm. In any event, um, she just came out. Oh, she <laughs> did, did it again. again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Shinyin just came out <laughs> with a graphic memoir called The American Dream? Question mark. What? <laughs> a journey across Route 66, yes. You're saying that the American Dream might not be what it's all cracked up to be. Well, this, uh, this artist does have a... a a, a noted identity. Um, they are an, an immigrant from Malaysia. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, uh, th- they are trying to find th- their place in uh, America. And they thought they did so th- via the most uh, American of all road trips across Route 66, a, a now broken and forgotten <laughs> route that's long been bypassed by interstates and, and major highways. Mm-hmm. But it ends yeah. in Santa Monica, the dream <laughs> factory. Well, unfortunately, they live in Los Angeles, John. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's actually done in reverse. Oh. Um, which I'm not sure. I think that's, I don't know, like a, like an interesting subversion. I don't know. I Just, guess that's true. Yeah. I mean, I mean I've her. driven across the country twice, and I did it from east to west. So. Exactly. That seems to be the most obvious way. Um, I mean, that's I how American history happens. So. Exactly. And it mirrors her journey um, from Malaysia to uh, the United States, if. You know, we we follow this geogra- geography as if one side of the planet is the east and the other side is the west or whatever. I guess I guess it comports to that. But mm-hmm. in any event, um, it profiles their journey uh, across the American West via Route 66, and also combines some of her thoughts about you know trying to find an identity. Um, it's very self-reflective in terms of being a travel writer and what how like um, narcissistic that can seem. Mm-hmm. So she does face some points there she meets a, a lot of very friendly people catches up with friends kind of explores not only the history of the route but also um all the education that they have so i think it's ideal like adolescence as a lot of graphic novels are written for like, yeah it's it's a good age for them because uh mm-hmm. you know it's obviously approachable it's not like blocks of text obviously aren't going to appeal to them so you get colorful images and you know set put them in settings and relatable characters so yeah well i i, I there's definitely a huge burgeoning uh, uh, audience or young adult audience for graphic novels. Yes. And again, she do, the, they do talk about their personal experiences both as an immigrant and uh, their, their religious experiences. And they could have explored that depth in a little bit, but I don't, th- I don't know if they, they wanted to or even if that was kind of their, their prerogative, if, if, if that added much value to the book. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously that's what I wanted to do because I want to dig into uh, pain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, give me that sweet, your, sweet pain. <laughs> yes, <laughs> make your life more entertaining for me, please. Um, <laughs> Take your trauma and monetize it. <laughs> yeah. But it perfectly mirrors her like excellent art style. I love, so she has very clearly delineated, uh, I did it again. The artist <laughs> has very clearly delineated lines, um, but it's all done in watercolor. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's much more splashy and, and really catches the eye. So I, I love the art style and it does kind of match like the trip itself, like, you know, kind of exploring these territories, but like just enough um, where, you, where you're more compelled than just your like avid road trip. So again, I thought, I thought extremely well done. Again, got a very positive notice in the AV club, which is where you also saw it. So yeah, yeah go ahead, support this, Wait, uh, this enterprising. Ask, ask again so I can pretend like I know it. Okay, <laughs> you saw it in the the AV Club. Um, oh, you meant Xing Ying. Okay, now <laughs> I can, now I know it. Xing Ying, yes. Xing, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I'm pretty erudite. I'm pretty smart, so I kind of know yeah. everything. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, I've heard of it. I mean, you probably haven't, but, you know, like, that was old news to me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. let me tell you. Yes. But it's a great work, and I think you should uh, support this enter- enterprising artist. Okay. So, is yeah. it is it published by anyone we would know? Like, uh, I know there's, like... Uh, One Up is like a big publisher of graphic novels. Do you know what the pub- who the publisher is just off the top of your head, or no? Uh, no, I didn't see who the publisher was. Okay. Um, I mean, that's that's the one thing too. I, I was wondering, like, was this motivated out of herself, or like, did she uh, did they have a book deal and then try to like <laughs> have to find something? Because Route sixty six was also known for its commerce, and that's like another idea. Like, you know, it, it are they trying to profit off this journey or something? Greg, believe it or not, the reason why I asked is because there's not a lot of money in <laughs> young adult graphic novels. Oh no! <laughs> oh, trust me, there's there's very little money in publishing uh, as a as an independent publisher myself. Uh, um, okay. I know. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> uh, well, Greg, um, I, I I've been debating. I've got a handful of things that I could recommend for Spotlight, but again, we have to go with a recency bias. So I'm going to recommend a movie that I watched recently, which for me was kind of like a catharsis it was like coming home because it was a movie i knew by reputation that i had recognized for many many years and i just didn't give it the chance until this past week was it hal ashby's film (laughs) coming home no it was not (laughs) it's a movie that again i barely knew by reputation but i finally got a chance me and my fiance or fiance me and my husband (laughs) sorry it's only been six months it's only been six months uh, yeah. Me and my husband sat down and finally watched the 2000 classic horror movie Ginger Snaps. <laughs> uh, I, I'm familiar with this film. Um, yes. If you're like me, you probably are familiar with it because it was probably one of those last vestiges of the, the video rental market. For some reason, this movie was always at the video store. And it it had a very evocative cover with, like, two goth girls on it. And so, for some reason, it always just, like, stuck out of my head whenever, like, it came up on streaming. It's like, I vaguely remember that movie. Or at least I vaguely know it by reputation. So yeah, great, that you... and, and May, another horror movie with a famous uh, goth girl in the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder what it is about these films that appeal to um, <laughs> uh, film cultists who are predominantly older males. I wonder what it is. <laughs> Well, again, like actually revisiting the movie, I kind of understand because if you are a woman in a horror movie, you either have to be kind of like a plain Jane or, you know, like a vivacious slut. And so (laughs) this movie does center around two girls, um, Ginger and Bridget, two sisters. And uh, I don't know why I'm over explaining the plot. It's a werewolf movie. Okay, The, the title Ginger Snaps, for all those who don't know, is actually has a hidden meaning. Because Ginger, as it were, uh, quote-unquote, goes through a physical and mental transformation after she's bitten by a lycanthrope. And so you're saying she undergoes a change every lunar cycle. So practically every month, right? Exactly. Uh, There's a a metaphor operating underneath (laughs) all this, guys. I don't know if you realize this. Really, John? What is it? Go ahead and explain it for us. See, see, Greg, Ginger is bitten by a lycanthrope. And so as a result, she starts undergoing changes in her body. There's more blood than she's used to. Physical deformalities. Her ears are changing. And her palms are getting hairy. Basically, when you cut right down to it, it's a metaphor for the Bosnian War. And the horrors (laughs) that we try to keep hidden. (laughs) all right i'm glad because i i couldn't quite um construe uh the hairy hands with uh, (laughs) a a woman's menstrual cycle i don't think that's part of it but 
Yeah, so basically, uh, the movie centers around these two goth sisters who are, yeah, they have a fascination with, like, the macabre, and, like, it opens with, like, this, mo- like, the opening credits are literally, like, this, like, suicide girl montage, where they're mm-hmm. taking photographs of, like, all these grisly, like, suicide scenes, and then it backs out and reveals, like, this was a school project of theirs. <laughs> and um, after, though, that Ginger is bitten by the werewolf, it's it's interesting how the movie kind of progresses because it's almost like Teen Wolf-esque because now all of a sudden Ginger has this new kind of like lease on life. She undergoes this transformation and she actually becomes kind of like popular. And Bridget is kind of more concerned about finding a cure, kind of un- like trying to prevent the changes that her sister's going through and actually puts them in conflict for the first time. Like the gothness actually demonstrates the fact that like up until this point the sisters were on the same kind of page on the same wavelength especially given the fact that they live in a very kind of like upper crust you know classic movie suburb and they have a doting mom who's like how was school today sweeties you know like the very much Mm -hmm. the kind of archetypical homemaker which even that gets a kind of interesting shading as well because after the werewolf transformation after she kind of goes through this bizarre change in behavior the mother starts blaming herself and even she gets some you know, kind of an interesting character arc as well um that makes it sound like i'm giving the movie a lot of credit i will look this movie is operating under like a tremors level of camp so i think okay. that's also why i appreciated it it's not trying to be anything it, it it's better than it really needs to be because again at the end of the day this is a low rent teen centered horror movie but because the the movie centers around you know uh different you know archetypical girls than you're used to seeing like yes usually goth girls are in these teen movies but they're usually not the main characters i appreciate that and also the fact that it's you know a movie about two women so it passes the bechdel test with flying colors let me tell you um and again like it has the exact right level of camp like it knows exactly what it needs to be and gets there efficiently so it's actually like a pretty good time at the movies yeah can you explain some of those like camp moments? You mentioned a, a good first gag in terms of like depicting all these terrible things, and then it's obviously designed to freak out the squares in high school. But, <laughs> exactly. Um, <yeah. laughs> are there some other ones that you can think of? Well, like I said, the opening credits were quite funny. The fact that you know it's like the Suicide Girl montage, and then it backs out, and it's a um, yeah, school project. Uh, the other interesting thing is it's playing with these teen archetypes. So obviously, there's the stoner kid. Mm-hmm. He's the one who always, you know, he's the local weed dealer or whatever. When Bridget is looking for a cure, what she needs is this rare plant called wolfsbane. And he kind of becomes her confidant and chemist so that they can kind of concoct a cure. So it's funny that the wasteoid Spaz, who, you know, you would think wouldn't be good at anything, turns out to be the most capable person in the plot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So again, like, and going back to like the whole camp aspect, like they live in a very kind of normal suburban household with a father who's kind of like inattentive and dumb and a mother who you think is kind of oblivious as well, but then turns out that she's more keen and more kind of understanding. (laughs) I'll, I'll spoil this kind of interesting twist. Once the mother realizes what her daughter is capable of after the werewolf transformation started to happen, like the mother actually kind of goes full in. It's just like, yeah. I thought I promised myself I'd protect you girls. So tomorrow we'll burn the house down. We'll make a run for it. We'll just start a new life in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and again, like contrasting that with what you assumed was just like the oblivious doting house mom. It, it, it's just like, it does funny little kind of zigs like that, which make it a very clever movie. So, okay. Yeah. I can see how uh, its quality resulted in a trilogy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like we like RoboCop and Star Wars, you know, it was good enough to foster three new movies. 
Mm-hmm. Or excuse uh, me, three total movies. We did watch the sequel, which um, definitely was not as good. It's, well, again, when are they ever? Exactly. Uh, it's pretty watchable. The only thing I can recommend about Ginger Snaps 2 Unleashed mm-hmm. is the fact that it features a great performance by a young uh, Tatiana Maslany, the uh, ah. Emmy winner for Orphan Black. Canadian. I should have mentioned Ginger Snaps is actually a Canadian production, so we get a we get a lot of good uh, good Canadian character actors who are always fun to see. So okay, you mean like the guy in uh, that movie Brian's Babe? <laughs> what the hell is Brian's? Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna skip over that. Forget I ever said it. Nope. Strike it from your memories. Strike it from the recording. You could have at least mentioned the guy who played Max Headroom. Really? He was Canadian. Yeah, I he's Canadian. He was British. Oh no 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 no. And okay. he, like, he's, yeah, Matt Fuhrer, he plays, uh, he played Max Headroom, and, uh, I, like, every time I see him in, like, a, a production, I always assume that it's like, oh, they shot in Vancouver, this is great, because he's Canadian, so. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful things they do in Canada. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, like, Schitt's Creek, and just all sorts of great shows. What's yeah, that other? Hockey. I know. Yep. The best. <laughs> John, take us confidently into the end of the episode. <laughs> Well, guys, we just gave you an hour worth of amazing content. Just just so much good content. Good confidence, John. I like it. I like yes. it. <laughs> Whether you were listening to it at work or in the car. So, so once you're done with all that, you can connect with us on social media. We've got a Twitter page. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram page. You're probably on one of those three platforms. So why don't you give us a like and a share or something? I don't know what these teens are into these days. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. But sorry, we don't have any we don't have any snaps uh no or TikToks or <laughs> whatever new social media platform is. is I think I'm going to get into these anymore. vines. I got a good few good ideas for vines. <laughs> no, we'll we'll get our 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 playlist on MySpace very soon. Yes. It's going to be great. And of course, that's a that's a little impersonal like, you know, social media. It always yeah. feel it makes us feel disconnected. But if you do want to yeah. get to know us a little more intimately, you can always reach out to us on Craigslist. No, you can always email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com with your questions, comments, um, and recommendations. Um, actually, John, they eliminated the personal section from oh. Craigslist because it could lead to a lot of trafficking and, and very, very bad stuff. So Yikes. I, I started as a joke, but yes, <laughs> earnestly, I think it's an earnestly a good thing. Okay. And then I didn't even mention the most important thing you can do for us, which is go to your podcast service of choice, whether you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. You should give us five stars because giving us five stars is the best way that you can send out the word and let people know that this podcast is worth listening to. Because higher rated podcasts, according to the algorithm, get pushed to the top of the recommendation pile. Yes, and hopefully we won't even need a Patreon. Instead, we'll do interminably long ads um, for mattress companies and cash transferring apps. Or Who knows? They could run the gamut. Maybe you're hiring. God, if you're listening to a podcast and you're actually actually hiring, um, that's a <laughs> I perish the thought. Wonderly does the worst ones because again, like you know, they they do true crime podcasts, so it's very serious. Until they need to get to the ad time, <laughs> let me tell you, brushing my teeth could be so much work. I know. Thank goodness for this mechanical toothbrush. Mechanical. <laughs> I sound like I'm from Steampunk. <laughs> Yowzes, this mechanical... Powered solely by steam, this toothbrush is. This newfangled time that lets you know when to switch sides on your mouth. Yeah, it reminds me of... Uh, oh, Wonderly doesn't do the... That's Luminary, excuse me. Oh. That's the one for the new season of A Very Fatal Murder. Um, uh. My favorite gag of that 
if if we could call back to a very uh, a spotlight we did on a very fatal murder. Mm-hmm. Our favorite gag is when uh, they're interviewing the parents of the victim. <laughs> yeah, it was it was obviously a young girl, you know, tragically cut down the prime of her life mm-hmm. and uh, the parents are sadly intoning that the what they thought of their their now deceased daughter and, and the host goes that's terrible now can you read this <laughs> <laughs> nature, nature box delivers groceries right to your door <laughs> enter the promo code rip kaylee <laughs> maybe we should start doing fake ads just to warm ourselves up for when we actually have to do it because obviously we're gonna exactly. break through any day now yeah and you know, as I as I said earlier, I like the host of a very fatal murder, and like constantly <laughs> seeking pain, other people's pain. Um, <laughs> Greg loves that misery. That's what makes him a great yes. writer. Yeah. <laughs> I not to not to bring it back. I think that that's been the whole impetus for this Shane Gillis saga mm. was the uh, the Scheidfreude. Um to see this person reach the, the heights of professional development and then have it come crashing down. Because um, he didn't earn it anyway, because he's a terrible racist. So. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to characterize him as a racist, but obviously he did racist bits. So, I mean, yeah. that's that's a weird I, oh, jo- words. Oh, what do you think that means, John? Yeah, I guess. Come on. Words, words. What do words mean? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry you feel that way, Greg. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's move confidently to the very end of the episode all right yeah oh no we got to tell them what we're watching next week oh that's right that's right that's right uh yes i feel like recently we've been doing too many kind of like mainstream hits let's let's really hit them hard with some really (laughs) obscure stuff because next week we're going to be watching stalker john this is mainstream you think this is mainstream first movie uh well it is for uh particular film fanatics because this is the first movie we're doing it's our 150th episode mm-hmm. and it's on a very special director named andrea tartovsky okay i yeah. don't know uh, what that means but i'm oh, sure John, i'm yeah. sure well, John, you fantastic. will all right you're gonna get an education all right <sighs> this is where the aspiringness comes in okay exactly if you're a fan of dragon ball z you know how they like take time to power up like, <laughs> over the course of like seven episodes that's what you're going to be doing over the these next seven days. You're going to get an education with Andre Tartovsky, and you're just going to be powering up, and your <laughs> and your film snob power will just be over nine thousand. Trust me. Okay. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> Thanks for putting into terms even I, a lame person, can understand. <laughs> of course. I meant to say lay person. I said lame person. I think that was a perfectly appropriate Freudian slip. <laughs> Great. Until then, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, Dasvidanya and keep aspiring. <laughs>